Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, open it to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at that this morning. If you leave that open during the duration of the message, I'd like to show you some things within a particular text uh, that's there. If you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, there are some questions I think we all need to ask ourselves repeatedly. Because there's a difference between having information and having that information lived out. The two questions that we're going to focus on this week and next are this. What is the church to be about? What is it supposed to be doing and called to do? And then what are we doing to accomplish those things? Moving just beyond information to something more significant. I was reading this summer uh, in a book, and then I read in a blog from two different authors a similar theme. One of the authors said this. He said that in today's culture, we need to re-envision the church. And something about that bothered me. Re-envision the church? And it finally hit me what I would have said. My response would have been, I think we need to rediscover it, not re-envision it. I don't intend to set up a straw man and knock him over to show you how strong I am. I really, in the article, for the most part, I agreed with it. But that one line caught me off guard. Is that like there's something wrong with God's model of the church. And we need to do it so differently than it's ever been done before because it no longer works. I don't believe that. I think if we go back to the original model, if we go back to the original way God called us to, to become and the things we're to do and the power by which we do them, I think that's what the world needs. So how do we rediscover this church? In Matthew chapter 13, you might recall Jesus told a very simple story of a man who was planting a field full of wheat and his adversary came in and planted this other plant called a tear, T-A-R-E. And a tear looks a lot like a wheat when it's growing up, but its subsystem, its, its root system will tear up the wheat and ruin it. And Jesus used that as an illustration of being patient because the authentic will prove itself and the inauthentic will not. I guess really what I want you to understand is when there is something to be imitated, something that genuinely is of value, the world will try to imitate it. And its imitation will be very, very close to the original, but not nearly as good. So this week I was at an institution where I saw this displayed and it struck in my mind. I was, I was walking down the cereal aisle at Walmart. And there, in all of its beautiful glory, as defined by the Lord, was a box of Captain Crunch. And next to it was a box of Colossal Crunch. Ugh. It wanted so much to be the captain, and it professed to be colossal, but it wasn't. And I saw that, and I'm thinking, isn't that funny? That instead of creating a brand new cereal, you look at the genuine, and you try to create something just like it. But you know, don't you, that Colossal Crunch is not the captain. And the best way you can know this, have you ever bought a generic Pop-Tart? You might as well eat the box. It looks like a Pop-Tart. It toasts like a Pop-Tart. It tastes like shoe leather. Because they can't do everything to make it the genuine. So it's at a, notice this too, it's at a lesser cost to try to get the same genuine product. Satan, when he saw the early church, he knew the power that was in it. He, oh, he knew the power. He didn't think it might work. He saw it working. 
So Satan doesn't come up when he sees a genuine article. He plants tares. He plants things that look like churches, that sound like churches, that on occasion act like churches. But they're not the church. They're lacking the key ingredients that make it what it's supposed to be. But Satan's smart because Satan will go one degree off of the original. He'll just take one essential thing away that nobody will notice initially. And you've heard me use this illustration before, but it it works. When you go one degree off the original, at the beginning it doesn't look like it's that important until over a period of time that one degree will take you so far away from the truth. And then you're just buying generic. And it doesn't taste anything like the original. So today I want to answer the question again, what's the church supposed to be about? And I want to show you in Acts chapter 2 what it was about. And I want to remind you of something that we talked about all summer long in our series called The Actors. The same power that was available to the early Christians is available to you and I right now. Not based on our worthiness, but based on our faith. It was 50 days after the Passover, the weekend of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It was a celebration called Pentecost, 50. 50 days later, there was a celebration. It was a day of a free will offering. People would bring their gifts to God, thanking him for all that he had done. And this celebration took place every year, or was supposed to. And on this particular day of Pentecost, people were gathered together, and the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised had come down upon his 11 disciples, and they began to proclaim who Jesus was. They began to tell people what God said would happen. They began to show them that in Jesus, it did happen. And then they began to promise some of the things that Jesus said he would do in the future. And the crowd began to gather, asking questions like, what is going on, and how come no one told us, and what are we supposed to do? And when we ask similar questions like that, we come alive as well. And the Holy Spirit ascended or descended that day, and they began to preach with power, and the Holy Spirit moved in that place. And over 3,000 people started following Jesus. It was a powerful day, and the church was birthed that day on that celebration. And people in a free will offering gave their lives to Jesus in exchange for all he'd done for them. And then Luke. Recording the book of Acts, the early history of the church, Luke writes these words beginning in verse 42 of Acts 2, if you have your Bibles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Instead of us looking this morning to see what they did, I want us to remind ourselves this is what we are. This is what God wants to do in us. No longer one degree off the original, but going right back and rediscovering the power that's available for the church to be what the church is to be. So let's begin. The Spirit-led church is a learning, responding people. I want you to see this. This is something that each one of us should aspire toward, to be a learner and a responder. It's found in verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines. They heard what God said he would do. They saw what God did in Jesus. 
And then they began to wonder what else might he have for us? And this is what learning, responding people do. They spend time in the word of God so that they know who God is, they know what God has promised, and they see what God has done. So when God says, I will, they can take that to the bank. They don't just gather on Sundays, reminding themselves that one day there'll be this heaven place and we'll be there. That has no relevance for today. What about now? How to live in the power of this? And they got together and they studied the word of God and they listened to the apostles' teaching about what God promised, what God delivered, and what God promises going forward. And when they realized that God could be trusted and they could place their faith in him through Jesus Christ, they did. And they gathered and they studied the word and they they listened and they wrote things down and they shared it with one another and they did this together. There's nothing wrong with a cup of coffee and the word of God in the morning to start your day. But part of it is to be poured out with others, to be shared, to bless someone. I had a, a guy I worked for uh, named Bob Millett at a church camp that I grew up in spiritually. And Bob always said this to us work boys. He said, if you study the word of God in the morning and you remember what you learned, he said, I promise you every day God will give you a chance to use what you learned that day with somebody. And whenever I put that to practice, undeniably, without exception, that's true. And so they gathered together and they studied and they, they prayed. And then I hear Hebrews 4.12, it won't appear on the screen, but the word of God says, it says the word of God is alive, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it hit me the other day when I was studying this. Sometimes I don't feel alive. Sometimes I don't feel powerful. And sometimes I don't feel very sharp spiritually. Am I the only one? Or can you agree that you have moments you feel the exact same way? Well, being sharp, alive, and powerful is not about me. It's about the word of God living in me. When I look back, the reason I don't feel alive, powerful, and sharp is because I've had seasons away from my strength. You see, the leadership of Christ Church, and I don't say this like we're better than anybody else. I'm talking to the people who've come to this body, this fellowship. We are committed to tell you this. The scriptures will be the epicenter of everything we do or we will close this place down. If the word of God is not projected and if it's modified or softened, then we need to close this place and not waste your time. The word of God has to be the epicenter and heartbeat of what the Holy Spirit used to inspire the early church, and we, we're going for that. We want to be defenders of the Word of God and offer it to all who will listen. But I'm going to make a couple of statements, and I know, wow, the preacher's wound up today, and I get to talk about what I do. I'm happy, but I'm, convi- I'm convicted that this is important. We don't feel a need to make the Bible relevant to you. The Bible is relevant. It always will be. It's not out of favor It's not become uh, out of hat, old-fashioned. It's still sharp, alive, effective. One author said, we just need to let the lion out of the cage and respond when the lion roars. And I love that. So they continued steadfastly. I want you to listen to Paul's words. I want to challenge you that if you want the power of the Spirit to work in your life, the Word of God has to become a part of your life. Paul told a young preacher in 1 Timothy 4, Watch your life and your doctrine closely. And the two of them go together. You watch your life because your doctrine is leading you in the way that God says is the way to holiness and sanctification and truth. He says, persevere in them because if you do, you will save yourself and your hearer. It's not just about you and I. It's about what we do in community and how we share that. C.S. Lewis wrote, 
if you do not listen to theology, that will not mean that you have no idea about God. It will mean, however, that you have a lot of wrong ones. So studying theology is not about being smart. It's about knowing who God is and what God has in store for us and how we live this out. Jesus sent his disciples out to preach, and he said in Matthew 10, as you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Tell people that what's available to them now is being proclaimed, that the kingdom of heaven, and those three words, kingdom of heaven, matter so much. What is the kingdom? How is it of heaven? Who's the king? So go preach King Jesus, go preach the kingdom, go preach the power of a God who said he would, a God who did, and a God who will continue to do. First Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. You see, people look and this is research that I've not made up on top of my head. This is research that you can find out there through Barna and other groups that do research. What are people looking for when they look for a church? It's dangerous what people look for. Now, what I'm going to tell you is some of the things people look for, you may have looked for here. And it may be one of the reasons you're here. Don't feel judged, but there's something more important that comes in these. These are all something that as humans we desire. People might come in and say, well, what kind of youth ministry? What do they have for my kids? That's important. What are the facilities like? Is it safe? Is it clean? Is it comfortable? That's okay. How long does it take to get in and out of the parking lot? I apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> Some things I can't fix. How close is it to my home? And, and how does it make me feel? Those are important things, but they're not the thing. Here's the thing I believe. If you stay here forever or you move and you're looking for another fellowship of believers to live in community with, Here's the most important thing I think you need to look for. Is the word of God being clearly taught about Jesus? Clearly taught. Not fudged and hemmed against and, and you know, all of a sudden we're going to just make excuses. Is Jesus taught? Is the word of God? And is the word of God clearly taught? Now, you may sit here and go, it isn't here. Well, find the place it is. But the second part of that question is, is the word of God clearly being taught? And will I respond to it when it is? Because going to a place where the word of God is preached and nothing changes in you is something's missing in the power. Because the power is the Holy Spirit bring conviction. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter said to the early church, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And what we're trying to do here when we gather around the word of God is we're trying to give you a taste of something that is so sweet and so powerful it will create more hunger in you for more of it. I, I use this way too much, but it's all I got. Because I think it resonates with those of us who have been kids and are raising kids. Or maybe now you're raising grandchildren and you're in this situation. Do you remember those frustrating moments when you want them to try something that you're absolutely sure they'll love and their response is, I don't like it. And you're like, how do you know? Well, Braden, our youngest, got a little bit smarter as he went on. And this is what he says to us now. I know I don't want to like it. <laughs> it's pretty hard to fight with that one. <laughs> We're done here, aren't we? You're still going to eat it, but you don't now have to like it. 
But there's sometimes I want him to try something and he'll be like, it's gross, I don't want to try it, it's horrible. You made me try this once. I'm like, no, because I know if you taste it, you're so much like me, you'll love it. Do you understand what we're doing on Sundays with each other? I'm just saying, no, no, don't, don't listen to how much I love it. Taste it. Because when you do, you're not going to eat the generic anymore. You're going to want the Captain Crunch. And if that violates your conscience, then we need to share a bowl because it's, <laughs> it's that good. Matthew 7, 24. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, Jesus said this. He's like a wise man that builds his house upon a rock. The reason we talked about real life wisdom in James is because it needs to go from head to hands and heart and feet. It needs to become a part of who we are. The word of God deserves our attention. It was the power of the early church. The Holy Spirit and the word came together and blew a trail through the world that will never be healed until Jesus returns. So it also needs our intention. This may appear a little bit self-serving, so I'll ask you to forgive me in advance. If you gather with us on Sunday, bring your Bible. Some of you say, I don't have a physical Bible. There's a free app on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. I promise you, you made, you made room on your phone for Facebook because you couldn't live without that. Put a Bible app on your phone. Have it open. You shouldn't trust me. If no one has their Bible here, I could put most anything up on that screen. Have your Bible. Bring a notebook. Take notes. Because here's what I want you to understand. I know most of you don't make it through one of my sermons. I don't mean you fall asleep. I do that too. But there are moments when I'm preaching that I might say something or show you a passage that you've never seen before and you disconnect from what I'm talking about and the Holy Spirit takes you down a path you're supposed to go. Have a notebook. Take notes. Write it on the bulletin. Make questions for yourself to ponder all week. If you find yourself disconnected after Sundays, take the words you're hearing today and take notes and feed yourself all week because when you taste how good it is, you'll want more. But am I the only person in the room who sits here on a Sunday and goes, I need to call that person, or I need to do this this week, I need to write a note card and tell that person thank you, and I have great intentions until I walk out of this building, and then I what? I forget to do it. I I wanted to. I knew it would be good if I did, but I don't, because other thoughts and information overwhelms and takes away what I wanted. So, Christ Church is going to be a place where we're going to work diligently to help you grow in the Word of God, to understand the power of the Holy Spirit found in the Word of God. And I'm going to ask you, each, after each one of these this morning, one simple question. Will you pursue this with us? Will you get on the same track the early church was on to find life and hope? Secondly, the Spirit-led church was a relational, committed church, a committed people. They had relationship with one another and they were committed to one another. They owed each other the debt Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The word fellowship that Luke uses there, I'm told, in the original language could mean partnership. Uh, King James wrote communion. They communed together. They lived together. They had that same experience. We know how to do this naturally. Uh, It makes me smile. This isn't the judgment. It makes me smile. Uh, Every fall, I walk in here, and I have a fun little game I play in the foyer. How many chief jerseys am I going to see? 
There are people that gather together, and what's funny is you see one chief jersey and another, they will nod. They will commune. They will see each other. Oh, brother, sister, you know, and off they go. And you may think I'm making fun of that. No, no, we know how to fellowship. We find things in common. There's a large group of you that worship a false god. It's a bird on a stick, and you worship that, and you talk about it all the time around here. We pray for you. It's okay. It's okay. But we know how to fellowship. But listen, fellowship is more than just socializing. Fellowship is not just a cup of coffee. Fellowship that the early church did was uh, surrendered to the word of God and to the relationship people had with Jesus. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't want to get together and every time I call my friend for coffee, we have to have a Bible study. Never said that. But if the conversations about Jesus are not shared, the things Jesus is doing, the, the insights you're gaining, the answer to prayers you have, the concerns you have in your heart, if those things aren't being shared, then you can't call it fellowship biblically because they gathered around who Jesus was and then it made all their conversations about the Chiefs and the, and the ball game last night. And you see, we all have things in common and we look for people. One of the, you look around here and you have friendships because there are people like you who live in the same community, who come to the same place, and we all know Jesus. And the common denominator is Jesus saved every one of us. <clears throat> Malachi 3.16 is a verse that I discovered this summer and I love it. Those that feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. What I love is that concept of listening and hearing in the uh, Hebrew language means to bend down so as not to miss a single word. Have you ever been walking somewhere and you hear your name being spoken of from someone? Does it slow your walk down a little bit? Do you kind of want to lean in and figure out if it's a good conversation or one you need to keep moving from? Malachi says when God's people gather together and talk about him, he listens. He leans over to hear I can be in a room of 50 kids, and they're all yelling, dad, dad, dad. But it's funny to me that when either one of my boys says my name, I hear it. When I don't hear the dad, dad, it doesn't even bother me. I was, I was in a place the other day and was walking uh, through this place, and someone yelled, Mark. And as God is my witness, four of us turned around. And the, the one it was supposed, or that was supposed to hear it, he smiled, and he looked, and he said, hey, Mark. And I said, hey, Mark. And I just went my way. We had a fellowship of Marks that day. But it was funny. We heard our name. And even though I didn't recognize the voice in particular, I, I wanted to find out if it was what? For me. Don't you love the fact that God loves when his people talk about him? I love the fact that eavesdrops. That makes me feel more human. Fellowship is praying together. And I know this weirds some of us out. Prayer does not have to be as formal as we make it. I always believe the reason we bow our head and close our eyes and fold our hands was some teacher of children created that rule so they wouldn't stab each other while she prayed. I do. I believe with all my heart. Because I don't find any of those postures in Scripture necessarily together. But some Sunday school teacher got tired of fights and finally said, this is what we're going to do. So when you pray, you can have a conversation. A friend of mine says, I'm really struggling with this. I smile and I go, you know what? I'm going to pray about that. And we can do it right then or we could do it later. But when you know people are praying for you and encouraging you, this is what fellowship is. It's got to be richer than just a cup of coffee talking the news. It's beautiful when it happens. 1 John 1, 3, <clears throat> excuse me. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father. What a great invitation John offers us. 
So Christ Church, as a community, presents you opportunities to draw together in fellowship with others. Some will be formal, some will be informal. And for many of you, this has not been a posture, a part of your life. You've filled your life with other things, and we all do that. But there's times when you need to gather. And what I find is the people that get farther and farther away from the fellowship of Christians are the ones whose lives seem to implode more quickly than others. So the encouragement is, will you join us as a church to fellowship with believers, to to make it purposeful every day to associate with those who believe like Jesus? Now, some of you are going, at church? No, no, we're not going to have church services every day. You don't need it. We try to inspire and encourage you in these moments to live your life. You need to take responsibility to gather with people, to pray with them, to seek fellowship, to get in a life group, to to study and share what you're learning with others. It will grow you and the power of the Spirit will work in you. Third, the Spirit-led church is a worshiping, purposeful people. Worshiping and purposeful. Acts 2.43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Down to verse 46. So they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their bread or food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. It said with gladness and sincerity of heart. I'm told that that could be translated unaffected joy. That when they were together, their, their spirits moved. There was vibrancy. There was reverence. And so when we talk about this, we realize that the Bible says in uh, Psalm 22 that God is enthroned on the praise of his people. Some translations used to interpret this passage that he inhabits the praise of his people. But that created some poor theology. But I'm told the actual words is he's enthroned on it. When we gather together or we praise God in any moment, we're lifting him up above the crowds for the world to see. And God enjoys that. He enjoys being appreciated for his generosity, for his goodness. But in church, we sometimes think that praising is music. And that's just, we've verbed that into something that's not necessarily all by itself that. See, I believe that praising him is not just music, but oh my, how it is music. How many of us non-musicians love the fact that when we gather, real musicians with great talent lead us in worship? I do. I live for it. And there are moments when people are singing that the Holy Spirit says to me, shh, don't ruin it. And I just sit there and get goosebumps. I do. I I love music, but I get goosebumps. Sometimes I just sit there and my eyes fill with tears. There's a joy inside of me that only comes when God's people testify. But it's not just music. Sometimes it's when I hear someone say, God really spoke to me this week and answered a prayer of mine, and they share that with me. There's joy. See, worshiping can be the, the tiniest little things. And for, it's not about whether we're gathering. Did you worship this week? That always means, did you go to church on Sunday? No, no, I want to ask you, did you worship this week when you weren't here? Did you find moments to point out, God did that, God's good. Thank you, God, for what you've given me. Hebrews 13, verse 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. I love that. Now, I'm going to be really ridiculous because I want want to capture your attention. When you're at Walmart or Price Cutter or wherever you shop, I think worshiping God is picking up those two carts that someone left right in the middle of a parking spot and 
taking them into the store with you. I think Christians do that. I think when you see a piece of paper at the school in the hallway, I don't think that's for teachers or janitors to pick up. I think a Christian student reaches down and picks that up and puts that in a trash can. That might be the greatest act of worship anybody sees because they're going to wonder, why'd you do that? And you're going to say, because this is God's earth and if someone should pick it up, why not me? I'm here to serve. And when they wake up from passing out, you're going to have a testimony. <laughs> we make it grand. You've got to preach and you've got to sing like Elijah or, or Madison. You've got to have these. No, 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 no. Do what you do. Do you real well. And it can be worship. And this is what a, the early church did. Did you notice that they sold extras like Michael talked about last week? If they had extras, they sold those so that people who had nothing would have something. Everybody did an act of worship for the benefit of another person. The early church grew that way. And then let me challenge you. The best kind of worship and purpose you can live for is when your life's not going so well. Read the book of Job. Everything was taken from him. He lost all of his children. He lost his farm. He lost all of his possessions. (laughs) You're going to think I'm being funny. And the only thing he didn't lose was his wife, and she was a bit of a chore if you read the book. She, she challenged him in ways that weren't always healthy. I'm sure she was a wonderful lady, but in the book, she's not the hero. And yet in that story, what did Job do? When he started asking God, why, 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 God started asking him, why, 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 why? And what Job realized was, even when I don't fully understand God, I know enough about God to trust him. It's a pretty powerful lesson, right? Christians are going to lose their jobs. Christians get cancer. Christians die in automobile accidents. Christians lose loved ones they rely on. Christians get depressed, discouraged, and disappointed. Christians face all the hardship every other human faces, and sometimes even a bit more. But Christians know that even when they don't understand everything God does, what he has revealed to them is enough. Amen? That he has proven who he is even when it all doesn't make sense. We know who he is. The word of God speaks to us. The fellowship and body gathered together speaks to us. Christ's church will make the gathering and praising and testifying together. We're going to live that out. We think it's the most important thing we gather for to inspire people that a worshiping, purposeful life matters. Will you join us in that? Don't come watch us do it. We need you to join us. Lastly, the Spirit-led church is an inviting, inspired people. I want you to look with me at verse 47, and I want you to pay close attention to who's doing what. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Who did the work? The Lord did. It said God was adding through the people. He has called us to be ambassadors. He's called us to speak a good word. He's called us to to tell people why we follow Jesus. He's called us to show people in the word that God made a promise, God kept a promise, and his promises continue. God can be trusted. He's asked us to do that. But he's the one who connects lives with the testimony of the church. He's the one who has put you in places of work where someone needs to know Jesus cares about them. He's put you in neighborhoods where neighbors need to know Jesus cares about them. He's put you students in classes 
where that one kid that gets you all in trouble because they won't quit messing around, that kid needs to know that their value is not in how hard the class laughs. It's their value is that God created them for something very, very important, a loving relationship with him. And if the believers won't speak, the message will never be heard. So we've been inviting and inspiring people to trust the same Jesus we love. I love Proverbs eleven twenty five. It has multiple applications. I think it's fair that it works here too. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will be watered himself. The God who made a promise is the God who will continue to keep his promise. And that means that we invite. The early church understood this. They offered Jesus. They invited people in. They developed relationships, not just to use somebody, but to invite them into something greater. I'm really passionate about you remembering that the same Holy Spirit who took the word, who took fellowship, who took prayer and and praise, and the one who took their invitation to go into all the world and preach the gospel, that that church, the genuine article, straight down the line, just simply living by the power of the Spirit and the word, that that church is still changing lives all over the world. The variations... I don't know. Well, they look like a church. Yeah, it's generic. Well, they look like a church, but they're not that into Jesus. Generic. They, they look like the church and act like the church, but they're not opening the totality of Scripture. They're generic. I'm not judging them like I'm better than them. I'm telling you, I desperately want to be in a church where we care what the Word of God says before we care about what we even say. And that we focus together on living this out Because the early church learned and responded. It had relationships that were committed. It worshiped with a purpose. And it invited and inspired itself and others. And that church, that church is still alive. That church that started on that day of Pentecost is still alive throughout the world. It may be in someone's living room. It may be in a massive hall somewhere with 40,000 people. Because God doesn't love based on size, prestige, or fame. God loves when we take the genuine article. So I'm walking through a grocery store and I see my cereal. And next to it, I could save $1 if I buy Colossal Crunch. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's worth the dollar to eat the captain. But what if I told you I walked down that same aisle and it was $10 cheaper? Now you have my interest. So for $10 less expenditure on my part, I could have the colossal crunch instead of the captain. I might even consider that. What if I told you it was, actually there was a coupon in the colossal crunch that would give me $1 million if I didn't buy the captain. And you would go, hmm, you know you'd do it, Mark. I might. And here's what Jesus said. The variations, the generics... The world will pay you for eating them. It will make promise after promise after promise to get you to eat them. Jesus says, no, to eat mine, you have to give everything. The genuine is going to cost you everything you have. I tell you, it's worth it, isn't it? When the Holy Spirit is allowed to become a part of our every waking moment, it will lead us toward the genuine. And no matter the cost, We'll all be willing to pay it. Let's stand together and worship.
Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.